about to listen to a sermon from Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church. As a church, we want to see whole communities captivated by Jesus Christ and living out His freedom. Everyone, we are reading 1 Corinthians 15, 1 to 23 this evening, um, which can be found uh, in the Pew Bibles, but also it's on the handouts you got at the door. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved. If you hold firmly to the word I preached to you, otherwise... You have believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also, as to one abnormally born. For I am the least of the apostles, and do not even deserve to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Whether then it is I or they, this is what we preach, and this is what you believed. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised, And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he did not raise him, if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who've fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, So in Christ all will be made alive, but each in turn, Christ the firstfruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. This is the word of the Lord. Good evening, friends. It is good to be with you. My name is Matt, one of the pastors here. If you're new or visiting, it's great to have you with us. Such a good thing. Friends, this is my last sermon, and it is a wonderful passage for a last sermon, actually. Uh, We, around Easter, have been spending time meditating on the events of 
Jesus' death and resurrection, before Good Friday upon the atonement, and now that with the week after Easter, we're just going to linger over the resurrection and just consider its meaning and its depth for our faith in our life, to not just pass it by, but to actually look at it and consider it for what it is, the remarkable foundation of all Christian living and confidence and sincerity of faith. But it's a good passage for a final sermon as well. Look how it starts. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved, if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you've believed in vain. I mean, what an opening to a passage. What high stakes. The Apostle Paul says, if you don't remember this, all the belief you've had might be in vain. And everything is on the line when it comes to what you remember in the gospel and what God has done in Jesus Christ. And so friends, it's worth meditating and lingering upon the gospel, not just as the basis of faith, but as the foundation of the life we live and the path to eternal life. So I have four things today about the gospel and particularly about the resurrection as part of the gospel and how that lays a foundation for us in life and faith. First point that Paul makes, I think, is this, that Jesus' resurrection is an original and an essential part of the good news of what has come about in Jesus Christ in the gospel, in the good news given to us. Paul begins this section with very clear language that signals what's so important about what he's about to say. What I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. Now, the language he's using of received and passed are technical words for the the baton exchange of tradition, of the handing down of the authentic truth of any faith community, in this case, of the Christian truth. This is the fundamental oral truths that were passed down to all of the first Christians, one to another. Paul is at the very beginning of that chain, and he has passed it to, to the Corinthians. And he's passed it on as first importance. And so what he's about to outline is one of the earliest versions of the good news of the center of the Christian faith. And it is in this letter to the Corinthians, which is one of the earliest letters we have, written within 25 to 30 years after the events of Good Friday and Easter Sunday within a generation, well before the gospel accounts were written down. This is what Paul passed on. I've formatted it so it's very clear to you. It's like a little creed, a mini-creed. What did he pass on? That Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures. That he was buried. That he was raised on the third day, according to the Scriptures. And that he appeared to Kephas, that's Peter, and then to the twelve. It's a wonderful little summary. That's the gospel. Jesus died for you. And he actually died enough to be buried. And he was raised again. And all this happened to fulfill the scriptures. This was God's plan from eternity, brought about in the people of Israel and fulfilled in his son. But it's kind of surprising, isn't it, that he appeared as part of the gospel. Isn't that interesting? 
the appearance of Jesus, not just the fact that he was raised from the dead, but that he was actually experienced and seen. That his resurrection was not some spiritual truth of his ascension, like a, a Roman emperor and his kind of star in the sky. No, no, Jesus was seen. He was heard. He was touched. He was hugged. He was kissed, probably. Jesus appeared, really. That's part of the good news. That he appeared. And, and Paul goes on to labor this. Oh, I've got on the sign here P46, which is a very early papyrus of this exact passage that we have. We have a really early version of the earliest version of the Christian faith, just to assure you that the thing you believe, the thing we've preached at Easter, is the original gospel. Is the thing that was passed on from the first generation of the earliest text in the earliest manuscripts we have. This is the truth of Jesus Christ among us. But Paul labors the last one, that he appeared. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. That's a beautiful laboring of how early this uh, letter is again, that some of the believers who first saw Jesus are actually still alive. Some of them have fallen asleep, they've died, but many are still there. So within the writing of this letter, the, the, the facts of the resurrection of Jesus could still be contested with the original eyewitnesses. It's a wonderful part of the gospel that, that this, these eyewitness accounts of the living Jesus are woven into it. And Paul is laboring this for the Corinthians. There were hundreds of people who saw Jesus between his resurrection and his ascension. All of the main leaders of the church saw him. Even Paul uh, had Jesus appear to him. He says, as to one abnormally born, that's true because he originally opposed the church and because Jesus just kind of rocked up one day when he was rocking, walking along a road uh, in a rather remarkable fashion. It wasn't normal, it was abnormal, particularly compared to all of the others. But Paul is saying all this just to drive home that the appearance of Jesus, his physical resurrection, is an essential and original part of the first gospel message from the first gospel messages. And that it has not changed. And that's supposed to give the Corinthians confidence about the gospel they've received. And it's supposed to give us confidence too. Friends, the events of Easter, this is, not, this is the original message. It wasn't made up later, the resurrection. It wasn't an addition to make up after the fact. It's woven in an essential and original part of the good news about Jesus Christ. In fact, Paul thinks it's so essential to the gospel, the resurrection, that faith is actually pointless if Jesus was not raised. That's what he goes on to say. Having pointed out how central and original it is, he then goes on to unpack how problematic it is for the resurrection to be contested. But if it's preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say there's no resurrection of the dead? Here's the rub of the point for the Corinthians. There are some among them, not all of them, some of them, who claim not particularly about the resurrection of Jesus. It's a general belief that there just is no resurrection from the dead. That dead people do not rise again. This is a little reminder to us 
kind of when we look back, we have this way of looking back as modern people to ancient people and think that they're just better at believing superstitious things, miracles and things. So that's just was their thing and not our thing. So they're a bit more gullible than us. But the Corinthians weren't. The Corinthians thought the resurrection was an insane idea. As did most ancient people who did not like their bodies. The body was something to be escaped, that you might continue on a spiritual journey somewhere else. To keep your body was not something that most people wanted. They wanted to escape it. And so lots of people believed that there was no such thing as a resurrection of the dead, and that's fair enough, because dead people don't rise. In, in similar ways, we have a culture and a belief that's very similar. We have a lot, lots of strict materialists in outlook in our culture. That what you see is what you get. That the miraculous, the, the, above, the above and beyond, the supernatural, are just not part of our scientific outlook on life. There can't be such thing as resurrections. It's not like the resurrection is contested, but the very idea of it is ruled out. So us and the Corinthians can end up in a similar Position, But if Paul says, but we preach that Jesus was raised, so how can you say no one's raised if we said that Jesus was raised? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. He goes on to explain how that makes him a false witness. He claims that God raised Jesus, and if that's not true, then he's a liar. He's a false witness giving a false testimony about what God has done. That makes his preaching false, and that puts their faith in his teaching just pointless. Believing something that's untrue is pretty useless in the end, isn't it? For if the dead are not raised, and Christ has not been raised either, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. See, there's no kind of spectrum here. There's no kind of Christianity light with no resurrection. If Jesus has not been raised, then he cannot forgive your sin. If Jesus has not been raised, then he cannot give eternal life to those who have died trusting him. And so if Jesus has not been raised, then Christians, who in the first century suffered a lot and often died, wasted their lives with a useless, futile, pitiful faith. And they're worthy of pity. Paul says if you take the resurrection out of the gospel, you lose everything. Absolutely everything. Because only as Jesus is raised to new life, that a kind of a new era breaks upon the world. A new era where sin and death are wound back. None of that happens if he is still in his tomb, still buried in the ground. There is no way of having a resurrectionless Christianity. It's nonsensical to Paul.
But on the flip side, if it is true, Jesus has been raised from the dead, and the very opposite is true. Faith isn't pitiful and futile. Faith can be and is courageous, has a remarkable vitality and authenticity and sincerity because it knows of the future that God is bringing. Look at these wonderful words that Paul says. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. He is alive, Paul emphatically asserts, having seen him. The first fruit of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. And for as in Adam all die, so in Christ all be made alive. But each in his turn, Christ, the first fruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. Paul twice in this passage uses that wonderful word, first fruits. I bought some first fruits today for your viewing pleasure. Uh, first fruits of my avocado tree. I think last year we had about 100 avocados from our avocado tree. Does anyone want some first fruit? Yeah. Who wants? Oh. Yeah. <laughs> you know, in the morning, it took, I had to get through, down 10 pews for someone to take it. So unbelievable. Thank you. It'll be ripe in about a week. You know, this is just, you know, first fruits aren't the whole harvest. Our avocado tree slowly grows avocado over time. They're not all ready all at the same time. But the first ones tell you that the harvest is coming. It sets the timeline in motion. It's the beginning. And as this avocado will be, so will all these avocados come upon the tree. The one is not the hundred that will come. It's the first fruits, the sign that the rest is coming. So it is with Jesus' resurrection. Kind of like my avocado. He is the beginning. And as he was raised from the dead, so, friend, will you, if you trust him. So will the loved one you lost, who has fallen asleep, as Paul says, will one day be woken by Christ's voice and rise from the dust of the earth to life again. Just as death came through Adam, who with Eve rebelled against God, sinned against God, and was cursed to the dust from which they were made. So everyone has died since. But just as death came through Adam to all people, so life comes through Christ to all. Christ is the beginning of life reigning in the place of the death that has swallowed us in Adam. But each in turn, Christ first, then us later. Then after that, Christ will abolish death and hand the kingdom back to the Father, as it says in a bit we don't read in 1 Corinthians 15. This cosmic timeline is upon us, Paul says. First the resurrection of Christ, then our resurrection and the end of death and the beginning of life eternal. It is wonderful, this picture of the unraveling of death through the resurrection of Jesus. Is there anything but pitiful, this hope? In fact, Paul kind of gives us a slight picture of what it looks like to really let this hope rest in your bones. To let it kind of take hold of you, for it to be a foundation of life. He says this a bit later. We didn't read it. But he talks of his experience of being an apostle. And as for us, talking about him, other apostles, why do we endanger ourselves every hour? 
I face death every day. Yes, just as surely as I boast about you in Christ Jesus our Lord, if I fought with wild beasts in Ephesus with no more than human hopes, what have I gained? If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. You know, that last phrase is almost the, meta, the motto of our culture, who says it's the finiteness of life that brings it its beauty. The singleness of it, the finiteness of it, the fact it will end imbues it with a sense of being beautiful and wonderful. But Paul has something better happening here than our culture has. He says, I face death every day. He does. From other people as he preaches the gospel, threatening his life, his circumstances, his vitality. Every hour, he says, he endangers himself. He says he fights against wild beasts in Ephesus, talking about people and populations and governments that oppose him and the gospel in him. He says, if if, if there's no resurrection of the dead, then this is all really useless. Why would I do this? Why would I do this with merely human hopes? What have I gained by this? Of course, he's saying the flip is true. That if the dead are raised, if Christ is the first fruits, and that he will be raised from the dead, then he can die tomorrow. He can face death in all its forms, little deaths every day in the service of Jesus. The stonings of men, their vitriol and their hatred, their resigning of him to the trash pit, all of that is possible because he sees the cosmic things about to happen in and through Jesus Christ. Death is not the end for him, not even the little deaths tomorrow, but they are the beginning of the eternal life that Jesus has won as he's been raised from the dead. You see, it's the resurrection that frees us for a courage, an ability not just to live in the reality of death as a final end point, but to rally against it defiantly, confident that it will not defeat us in Christ. And so we can lose things. We can lose those we love. We can lose things we love. Confident that death is but the means to life. And so finally, Paul says, as he finishes this chapter right at the end, we didn't read it, but I'll read it to you. He sums it up with one one fantastic final explanation point. Jesus' resurrection means that our labors, our little deaths, all we do in the service of him that costs and is difficult is never, ever, ever in vain. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. See how he circles back to verse 1? Let me remind you of what you've taken your stand on. Having reminded them, he comes and says to them to stand firm. This is true. The resurrection is true. The resurrection of Jesus and yours as well. 
Don't let anyone move you from the life you have in him. Of course, this is not a passive stance upon a dead thing. It's an active thing. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord. That's what it means to stand on the resurrection, an activity in the direction of what you've been given. You know, there's this kind of space we can end up living where we kind of half-guess our commitment to our faith. We hold back half of our attention, half of our talent, half of our time, half of who we are, just because there's there's part of us that isn't quite sure whether it will turn out well or not. Whether Jesus will come through or not. Whether it's worth it or not. Paul says there is no need for that. That the resurrection of Jesus gives us a confidence and a sureness in the future that awaits us that we can go all in and give ourselves fully to the work. What does he mean, give ourselves fully to the work of the Lord? What does that mean? Well, I think he's pointing back to everything else in the whole of the letter. You know, Corinth was a big complex cosmopolitan city like Sydney. And in the course of Corinthians, you see the wrestles they had around their sexual ethics, around the way that political polarity kind of came into the church from outside from the culture. They wrestled with how to relate to pagan temples and pagan culture, about how to do church well together, about how to remain winsome in the midst of opposition. When he says, give yourself fully to the work of the Lord, he says, give yourself fully to the things I've been talking about. Your labor, when those things are difficult and costly, when they come against you, when they require sacrifice, when the Lord asks of you in your obedience things that are complex, nuanced and difficult and just downright hard, when it feels like they are arduous and difficult and that you eke out obedience Centimeter by centimeter, feeling like you go nowhere. Paul says, not one inch is in vain. Not one inch, not one moment, not one time, not one season, not one act of obedience, or one step on the path to eternal life. Because everything you are, and everything you are becoming, will live forever person the Lord has made you, he will rise from the dead. And you will be on that day who you long to be now. And all the costs of now are nothing compared to them and what he will bring in your resurrection body. Brothers and sisters, do not give up on your walk when it gets hard. But look back to the events of Easter, the sureness of your hope, and know that nothing is in vain. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this sure testimony and witness to the good news of Jesus from 2,000 years ago, reaching out to us and confirming what we have heard about Jesus, that he is alive, and that we will walk through the, the gate of death, but we will rise like he will.
to life eternal. And Father, that fills now with such purpose and dignity and hope. And Father, we want to walk in that hope tonight. Pray for the people in church today who feel disheartened by their walk with you. And I ask you to encourage their hearts that it is not in vain. Because you will raise them with Jesus forever. Amen. listening to the Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church podcast. For more audio content and information about our church, please visit neac.com.au.